Welcome back to the show. We are on episode 12 and we're really excited for what we have for you all today. First and foremost, we got to mention the new show open. I would like to thank Cloud Kicker for actually granting us the honor and permission to use you and yours from their album, Let Yourself Be Huge. Cloud Kicker is one of my favorite bands I admire him as an artist specifically so much because he records all of his own tracks for all of his own music and he was so kind i reached out to him personally and asked him if we could use the track for the show and he said by all means and uh, we appreciate you sir and your contributions so thank you very much mr ben sharp of cloud kicker the man of many talents the man of many instruments the man of a thousand holds mr ben sharp Next item to address is the fact that today will sound a little different for you all. I will be piloting this ship today solo. Josh, our co-host, will not be on the show today while he's out dealing with a family matter. And Josh, we're all with you, sir. On to the show. Here on episode 12, we are coming in hot with a titillating discussion with our friend Nathan Lanholt of Secret Shame. Nathan is the drummer for Secret Shame. I first crossed paths with Nathan here in the hardcore and metal scene in the Midwest about 15 years ago. Nathan has been more commonly, or at least initially, known in this area as a staple of the Midwest heavy music scene, providing a lot of opportunities for up-and-coming artists, as well as exploring his own musical talents beyond his entrepreneurial spirit with Air Records back in the day. Nathan is now out on the East Coast and building his own reputation in the post-punk and goth scene as one of the newest and hottest projects, Secret Shame. We'll discuss Nathan's rise in the Midwest music scene, the reason for the move to the East Coast, the reason for the artistic shift for him personally, formation of Secret Shame, in Secret Shame's upcoming tour, as well as Nathan's other musical endeavors. Sit back, relax, and enjoy as friends reflect on fond memories of old and talk about their new endeavors and ambitions. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Nathan Lanholt of Secret Shame.
I am here today with Nathan. Nathan, how you doing, sir? Of Secret Shame. Doing great. Uh, it's good to catch up with you, man. I was, we were just kind of before we hopped on the record button, we're talking about kind of how long we've known each other. It's been since 2007, 2008-ish, actually, so it's been quite some time playing together in the scene and what have you in the Midwest. Yeah, it's a lot longer than I realized. So I think like the first time I, at least I remember like a long conversation with you in person was uh, you invited Worlds, we were statues at the time, I think, and then we changed our name, but uh, you invited us up to play in Highland and you were putting up a show up at the Legion Hall, I want to say, or some VFW. That's pretty, I think that's pretty much where every show I played in that town was. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a it was a pretty I mean as far as Legion Hall shows that we had played in the past, you know, it was very well populated. It was a pop at night that night whenever we came out. So that just kind of started off a long band friendship, if you will. In that sense, yeah. like anytime you had openings, we'd you'd reach out to us about playing with you guys and stuff. You guys were you were you in particular, obviously, were always a big supporter of bands and you had the error house for a minute too, right? That you were doing stuff in? Yeah, that was in Champaign. Um, that was, yeah, I just decided to start doing house shows in college, and yeah. that morphed into other things. Right, it always does. And I yeah. know that, like, we have a good mutual acquaintance, old Maxwell Lange, used to be way back when in Sender Receiver. That's when I met him. He played a yeah. coffee shop in Farmington, of all places, and... uh and like everybody in the town was totally freaked out by that genre, you know, nobody came around playing like grindcore and stuff at that time, even and yeah. things in that wheelhouse, you know, and uh, that immediately attracted me to him. And I think Worlds played at the Error House. That was right after I quit the band. That was Levi's first show, but we, I traveled up with them or whatever. And they played mm, Error yeah. House, I think, with whatever band Max was in at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I forget that other band's name, but I actually just ran into maxwell um because they're in detroit yeah. they have their own music venue that's right. doing really really well sanctuary and i was on tour doing merch for a band and yeah i got to hang out for like an hour and talk to maxwell for was the that, first time in was that portrayal portrayal of guilt is who you were doing merch for yeah 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 i love those guys it's fucking fantastic music so yeah it's been a while i also you know like i just want to kind of commend you too for you were always doing stuff for other bands, you know, anytime you ever had anything going on, you reached out to us and we, we really didn't have a lot of chops at the time. Even, I mean, I think maybe our second or third show ever was that Highland show that we played with you. And uh, you were always very welcoming, inviting, you know, to the nines when it comes to hospitality. And I know you've always been kind of that catalyst. And that's in part the reason that I was attracted to get hooking back up with you and talking to you on the podcast. Cause I like to feel I feel like that's kind of what we're trying to do is we're trying to uh, talk to people that are on the rise and be another vehicle to kind of get their stuff. Everything's content nowadays. Everything's exposure, you know, and getting those opportunities. But you were providing that back to me 15 years ago. So I really appreciate everything that you did for us back then, too. Yeah, well, thanks for saying that. I mean, I liked your band. I Anytime I like a band or or any artist or whatever, like I try and put them on if I can. And, uh, it's cool. Uh, as time has gone on for things like this to happen and like me to reconnect with 
people that I didn't don't even realize maybe how many times I booked their band or right. did whatever for them. And, sure. and they're like, Oh yeah, yeah, I'll book your show. And like within an hour, they've got a, everything set up and I'm right. like, Oh, all right, well, sweet. It's kind of nice that it's reciprocated. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. And, uh, you know, I was Ridge and I were button heads trying to remember some old memories of, uh, traveling up there and, and what have you. One, one show that we, even though there wasn't much of a turnout, I think it was like on an odd night or something is uh you let us you booked us with plagues which we were huge plagues fans and yeah. uh that that was a i think the guitarist was in destroyer destroyer previously or something so like and, some some connection there yeah yeah that band was insanely heavy <laughs> yeah we ended up i think that's the same show that michael broke his bass at because he just got pissed off which was he'd only had for a couple weeks and he snapped yeah. that thing <laughs> Yeah. I remember I took a picture of that and I think he ended up using it for something like MySpace pictures yeah, probably. for a long time. Yeah, it sounds about right. <laughs> that show we were going up, uh, I think we brought our, our buddy Marcus, who's in Fister, um, Newstead. You might, I think you might know him or at least be familiar with him. He's the guitarist in Fister. Oh, um, I didn't put that connection together. <laughs> yeah, but he was up with us whenever we went to that show. So he was chilling out with us, but uh, we were all drinking. Uh, we had stopped at the gas station, got a bunch of Colt, uh, Colt 45s and Miller High Life and poured them into tea bottles. And yeah. so we were like, we were a long, hot car ride, got there. We were like initially in bad spirits because it didn't seem like there was a lot of people like, oh man, we drove all the way up here. Nobody's going to see us, that sort of thing, you know. But then we're like, oh, we are playing with fucking plagues. And so this is sweet. So we all got a little uh, buzzed before the, <laughs> we started playing. And uh, I guess Michael just, felt the aggression and wanted to take it out on the base and and uh the story is told <laughs> you know i remember y'all played great <laughs> so yeah. uh whatever lubrication you needed you know it worked. <laughs> yeah, right 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 but yeah. yeah i mean i've been in so many of those situations where you're like ah oh, this show is gonna be so sick and it's with this band that i love and you realize not many people know who that band is <laughs> right right yeah, that was definitely more so a problem back in the day, too, because, you know, you don't have all the platforms and, and marketing vehicles that bands do have nowadays and the ease of Internet. You know, everybody's got high speed Internet nowadays uh, and just all the music services that are out there and everything. It gets kind of and also that instant satisfaction that people people get now all the time from social media. They're not so. I think it's in part why folks aren't so about going seeing a local quote unquote local show anymore. But, you know, I could, you know, we could sit here and talk all day about what killed local music scenes and things of that nature. We, we actually just had a documentary not too long ago come out here about the death of the Farmington music scene. It's oh, okay. a, a film student did it as his thesis. And uh, so that's kind of been, uh, we, we, we've been doing a lot of deep dive conversations with the people that were making the, making the film and talking about how all these advances in social media and so on and so forth, uh, and then also political, local, religious influences as well. You know, a lot of the venues were close to churches and things like that. Those are things that we dealt with. Is there anything, any stories like that, that especially like maybe Error House, because you're running shows at a, at a house back in the day that you ran into back when you were throwing all these shows for us? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it goes back to the Highland area stuff too, of at least getting people to come out. It was a lot more challenging then, but I think also we're in such, I don't know. We weren't in metropolises or anything, you know, like we're right. in areas sure. where like everyone had to drive 
15 to 30 minutes to come to that show. Right. If they wanted to make that commitment. And a lot of times they just didn't they have the means to, um, yeah, I, with the house venue, uh, I dealt with a lot of the city. Uh, they hated me. The neighbors hated right. me. Getting all those noise complaints and what have you. Noise complaints and just, and it was a drive in you, uh, because I just, right. I, I didn't drink anything at the time. And, yeah. and I just thought that it made sense since it was like our home sure. to right. also not have it be chaos. Right. Um, that deterred some people, but it was kind of one of the few things that kept it going, I think, because they could make, have noise complaints, uh, even if it was before noise ordinance kind of stuff, right. uh, they couldn't really do much cause we weren't partying. We're just being right. loud, but it wasn't even actually loud outside of the house. So, sure. um, we got, to, I got to keep it going for a while. And then actually some of my roommates, uh, that stayed there after I left, um, champagne, uh, kept it going for a couple more years uh, oh, wow. under a different name. So that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize it lived on that much, but now that you say that, I do recall being outside when somebody was playing and it really wasn't, it, you would think it'd be louder, you know? So it was pretty decently insulated naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess I, I didn't deal with a lot of other issues there other than the city. <laughs> yeah. That's, we ran into a lot of that, but it was, you know, whenever one of the big venues we had here locally was Bob, what was called Bob Arenos. It was a pizza place right next to the courthouse in the downtown area. There's not a lot of residential down there, little to none. However, there's three churches located within a block of mm. the venue. So every time, and then there was parishes or uh, pastor apartments or whatever. Every time we had a show going on, as soon as it hit nine o'clock, they were calling the cops. <laughs> so, and that Damn. once in a while turned into once every month, and then once every month turned into once every two weeks, every week, and then every show. So, you know, that, that got to be a huge issue uh, with us throwing shows specifically. Yeah. Um, I mean, anytime you're doing something alternative and not seen as, you know, right quote unquote the right thing, right path for people. Sure. They they're upset and they wanna challenge you, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It's it, regardless of what package that they perceived at a, at a very topical level, uh mm. they were certainly making choices and I mean like when I first started playing at this venue, I was in a straight edge hardcore band. So like we did that for a few years and uh like every time the cops got called for stuff like we just felt it was so absurd because there was like no drinking nobody's doing drugs you know a lot of the stuff that we were doing at the time but you know it it just is what it is you have to deal with those um well just ignorances of people in general regardless yeah and any kind of smaller town or little area like you're gonna have a lot more of that pushback i think sure sure I know the error house, I guess, was kind of toward the end of your time in Champaign. Is that right? Or did, were you still around there for a little bit? Because I know you're out in Nashville now. Yeah. Error house was when I was just in, I was in and out of college. So it was like mm-hmm. 20, I was 20, I think. Um, and so, yeah, I was going to school and doing that. Uh, so that was like a big chunk of me being there. Um, and then that, kind of led me to want to release music and I don't remember which came first releasing music or the house maybe at the same time but under era records that morphed into I wanted to actually have a venue 
and I was like, well, I release music and I distro music. Why don't I make it a record store? So that's actually financially feasible. Right. Um, and so I did that for about three years and then, then I moved out of town. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think you mentioned to me previously, you ended up in Asheville because of a band that you were in at the time. Is it involving any of the folks that you're in the band with now? Secret Shame? No, no. I was in a band that was touring full time. I had joined, it was basically a paid gig. Um, mm. it was a band that I was into, but I liked that. I liked, but it kind of went south pretty quickly, uh, after I moved here and I moved here because, uh, the person I was seeing at the time, but also I needed to get out of the Midwest. I needed to go like just need to east, or, east or West and somewhere like pretty and like right. good for mental health. And yeah, this was just the spot that I landed. And, um, all the reasons or factors that kind of led me to come here ended, but I yeah. s- just stayed because I decided to start playing music here. It seems like you've actually moved into Asheville in a good time, or at least like I would say public awareness wise, because I feel like I hear about Asheville being kind of one of the more, more booming towns in America, uh, especially in the last, I'd say like, you know, three, four years in particular. Uh, you know, what's it like living in Asheville now compared to living out here in the Midwest? Um, well, I mean, I lived in Chicago for a little bit too, before I came out here, but you know, this is a city, but a lot of times it doesn't also feel like a city. They want to be a huge metropolis and it's just not, um, there's tons of gentrification. Uh, It's, it's pretty sad, honestly. Um, and it's gotten worse and worse as the years have gone on because it's such a huge tourist destination that, I mean, it is drive has driven and is still driving so many people out of here. For a while, it was like twenty, thirty minutes out of here in the, in the area, and now it's people just completely moving out of state, or you know, just right. like having to get out of here. I mean, it's beautiful here. There's a obviously there's lots of reasons for people to come visit, but they don't. The city does not take care of its people at all. The houses yeah. issue is is pretty dire and and they just either shuttle them off in a bus or destroy their camps and tell them basically to fuck off instead of like giving them resources and a lot of times it's it could be me you know like (laughs) i don't make a lot of money right i'm in situations where i'm often on in and out of housing and crashing with people and like it's it's scary to be like oh you just want people from florida or whatever to come here and spend their money right they want the tourist dollars. Fancy hotels and Airbnbs and rather than... Exactly. You know. Yeah, they they want that temporary dollar, the low-maintenance dollar, that on-demand di- dollar, that yield management dollar. We'll get in all the capitalist bullshit, but, <laughs> uh, yep. but you know, yep. they just want the... They don't want the people that stay that they have to take care of, quite frankly. They don't want their money to go back yeah. into the community. Yeah, because they know people with more money in other places, California, Florida, wherever are going to come here and, you know, sell their million dollar home and buy a right. similar one for 750,000 and, and sure. be fine. Right. You know, they'll have right. money to live. And, yeah. and but, that, that happens a lot service, in this area too. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, that's okay. Uh, I was just saying that that happens in this area quite a bit too. Usually we get kind yeah. of the St. Louis phenomenon. People move from St. Louis to Farmington cause it's a little bit, you know, uh, the housing market's much less than it is in, in the St. Louis area, of course. So. I can relate to that on some level, but Farmington's certainly not Asheville <laughs> by any means. Either. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, the service industry here is, is rough because yeah. 
minimum wage in North Carolina is seven twenty five. So that's horrific. Ash Asheville's a, a bubble in in the sense of like it's progressive. It has a lot of cool stuff right, here, right. a lot of great music. Um, it's pretty lively all the time. But uh, to live sustainably, people need like twenty bucks an hour at least. And yeah. with minimum wage being seven twenty five, it's like ten to fifteen tops. You know, right. almost everywhere. Yeah. It's, you just can't survive. <laughs> no, so, I, I'm dealing with the same thing. That's mostly what it's like to live here. Aside from that, uh, it is a really cool music scene, and it's beautiful. And so I do value that stuff, for sure. Yeah, and so I noticed the band is from Asheville. So did, did you meet your compatriots in Asheville, specifically surrounding area? Tell me how the band came together. For Secret Shame? Yes, yeah. sir. Um, I... <sighs> So I was still doing air records a little bit off and on as a record label when I moved out here. Um, I thought I was done with it. And then I saw this band secret chain play. I wasn't even in the band and it was their first two shows. And I approached them. I was like, are you releasing something? Are you recording? Can I put it out? And they didn't know what they were doing. They said, sure. So I put out the first EP, um, which did all right, actually for, them not being a band for very long uh they had some member changes and they asked me they knew i'd play drums in another band and they asked me to do it and i said yeah because i love the band uh mm-hmm. but i i had no experience in this style in this genre so i had sure. to like practice a bunch before i tried out and then yeah. just kind of got okay at it <laughs> yeah so like whenever we first met up uh you were playing bass in i believe Masada Complex. At that time, yeah, it's kind of like a grindcore band, right? Yeah, it was like a metalcore, yeah. grindy something or other, yeah, Some, something in that wheelhouse. And then yeah. this is this is a lane change from that. You know, you're kind of in the post punk world, but I I love plenty of post punk myself. Yeah, but it seems like quite a hard right turn for you musically compared to some other things that you've been in. Yeah, I I think the only thing. I had ever done that wasn't a heavy aggressive band. Uh, I filled in on guitar before I knew how to play guitar in my friends. Like band is kind of like dinosaur junior sounding, not yeah. that big though, of a, you know, like sound, but just that style. Uh, and I did this one, a one-off show with that. That was it. Everything yeah. else I've ever done before secret chain was heavy, aggressive, yeah. <laughs> intense. Yeah. Um, so it was, yeah, a pretty big change, but it's a genre of music that I'd always loved. Obviously I liked it. I wanted to release it. And, um, in all honesty, yeah, it made me actually become a real drummer because I had only been in two other bands prior to that playing drums. And one of them, when I moved here was, I was still in Earthwitch as the first band I ever played drums in. And I just learned because we wanted to start a doom band, like doom metal band. And that was sure why i taught myself <laughs> yeah no I, I i didn't even know that you'd played drums you know obviously i was keeping tabs on you over these years over social media and uh earth which was excellent too i, I love, your, love your stuff there um but it was just like it caught me off guard to see you playing drums because i'd never seen you play anything else at least at a distance you know i was like oh i didn't know you played drums and so I checked it out, and I'm like, man, this is excellent. And then uh, to hear you playing drums in this, too, I can definitely hear, like, the progression and, 
Like you are, you are doing, you're doing work there, son. You know, being in a Thank post punk band is a lot of busy top work, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm noticing it, and I'm respecting it. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, uh, I was horrible at it when I joined. <laughs> but it, I, mean, I, I wouldn't be able to tell, obviously, because I just heard the recordings. But yeah, dude, you're, you're killing it, especially the new single "Hide," which I love. Uh, I, thank I you. Mean, you are, you are just nailing those drum parts on that song, sweet my friend. Thank you. Yeah, I think musically all around, this is one of the first bands that I've put this much energy into and actually seen results I like for the most part. (laughs) Yeah. And nothing like that instant gratification to getting back on the live show circuit. Uh, Tell me kind of what that, how that's been like for you, because I know you already did the first leg of this tour that you're on currently with Secret Shame. What's the post-COVID? I mean, I know COVID's still in the world, but I'm sure there's things that you run into. Perhaps some of the venues you play, like restrictions they may have in order or not. I know that's starting to listen up too, but just kind of what's been what's been the tour scene for you like so far on this first leg? Um, it's pretty strange, honestly, because we're we're still trying to be cautious. You know, going to gas stations all the time, grocery stores, all sure. that, restaurants, but. I mean, across the board, pretty much ever, because I also just did the full U.S. doing merch with Trail. Like, there was one venue that required masks, and still only half the people wore them. You know, yeah. it's kind of insane that it seems like it never existed. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, there's but definitely we, some surrealness to all this, especially if you have been, you know, doing the CDC recommended guidelines or whoever for two years. You know it's a little surreal to go into places now and see it like you just described it. Yeah. I didn't go anywhere for almost two years. I, you know, went to the grocery store every like three weeks. That was it. That's all I did. Um, yeah, it was tough. And then our first show back, uh, we played in Athens, Georgia and was a lot of people and was very surreal, very uncomfortable to be in a room of that many people. Sure. And we didn't, we were like, well, I guess we don't wear masks when we play. So we'll do that. Everyone else was, which is cool. Um, but our vocalist, uh, she got COVID that show. <laughs> oh, man. That's yeah. terrible. And we had been indoors for two years, you know? Uh, And that's, it's kind of gone from that to where we're like, oh, well, we still got to be really diligent about this, but we want to play shows. We can't really go without doing our art anymore. It's kind of killing us. So yeah, absolutely. As we, as we've eased back into it, we've noticed that's kind of how everyone else has been. It's like kind of checking, seeing what others are doing. And it's like, well, I guess we're just all doing it now. We're just touring. All right, we all know the struggle. You ask your friend to watch a movie, they won't watch it. For whatever reason, it's ridiculous, it's an amazing movie, they're going to love it, but they just won't watch it. My name's Daniel King. I host a podcast called It's Just Two Movies. Every week we try to pick one good movie and then another movie that's got something in common with it that's so bad it's good. Sometimes we hit the mark, sometimes the bad movie is just bad. Uh, But we'll sort through them all for you and we'll have some drinks and laughs along the way. We also pepper in a little improv comedy just because we have fun doing it. Also, no shortage of dick and fart jokes here, so if that's not your crowd, maybe it wasn't meant to be. Come check us out anywhere podcasts are found, Spotify, Apple Music, Rapsory, iTunes, you know, where you know the places. 
or check us out on social networks at It's Just Two Movies. All right. Cheers. During COVID, was there anything that you guys did uh, to kind of help supplement, keep the band's name out there? I know I came across a Colt Nation uh, performance of you guys. I think it was Sonic Unrust Volume 2. You guys were on there. It looked like kind of an outdoor production, and it was almost reminiscent to me, at least, of like, I don't know if you've watched the Two Minutes to Late Night stuff, where he's doing yeah. stuff with other people to, yeah, Gorsenio's doing stuff with other people to, uh, you know, get some compensation for the bands. They're doing their covers, and they all get a cut of whatever they sell on the covers and that sort of thing. Was this kind of similar to that, or maybe just the way it was edited, it was giving me that feeling? Oh, um, no, it was just... We're tight with Cult Nation. They've always been really supportive of us and of me and my other projects. Uh, and they hit us up, seeing if we just want to record something. They and they would call it like a fest, basically, and they would make it a big deal on YouTube and right. um, try and get people to donate to the bands right. that were per- performing, essentially, to help us out. Um, we had been that outdoor setting had been where we were practicing for oh, really? a real long time um when it was nice weather yeah dude that's unique. because yeah. we did we we couldn't not do it and we couldn't also be inside around each other at the time yeah there's no va- vaccination or anything we you, nobody knew you know sure i'm sure you know nobody knew what to expect and Absolutely. what to be cautious of so we did that yeah and we just did that on our phone and I added some editing random, you know, layer stuff to Good it bits. and called it a day. Yeah. So the, I had noticed when I watched that video that we were just talking about that it had information about donating. So I assumed it was something that they were doing perhaps to try and help bands through or during the pandemic with something to do to have some sort of income coming in. It was that kind of what the purpose of that was. Yeah. Yeah. Getting back out on these run of shows you already talked about, uh, I, I know that this tour, uh, you guys got a lot of material under your belt. Hyde uh, came out here in the last few months as well as a single. I saw pictures of you guys in the studio recording. Uh, so yeah. we're to assume that we got a new record on the way. Any details you can give us on that? Yeah. Um, yet, yet to be titled, but it's our second full length. Um, Hyde is a part of that. We went into the studio here um, called Drop of Sun, and it's a beautiful studio. Um, really close friend of mine uh, is doing it with with his business partner, um, and we were the first band to go in there and basically be guinea pigs for them to mostly figure out their their A room, their main room yeah. uh, for drums, and yeah. really how to navigate that because they had not had any sessions in there yet. Mm-hmm. And we're like, well, we're working on a record, but we got a song done that we've been playing forever. Let's let's track it. Let's see how it goes. Maybe we'll do a full length with you. And it, it was a super fun experience. Like we really loved it. We all felt comfortable. We loved how it turned out. And yeah, so we decided to go back when we were ready. We we booked time to come back uh, to do the record, and and we you know finished it up right before we went in. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's a, it's. We tracked 10 more songs. Um, whether or not all 11 are going to be on the record or not, we're, we're not sure. sure. We, we think we want to go that route, but um, we're waiting to get those mixes back, uh, final mixes, and then we can move on with the process. But yeah, yeah, our goal is to have it out in the fall and do a full U.S. tour off of that. 
I saw some of the pictures that you put up while you guys were in the studio, and it, it looked like a pretty unique setup. Like, uh, if I recall correctly, I feel like they did have a bigger room that you could track drums in, or so it appeared to be in the uh, picture. And if you're ever going for that big thunderous John Bonham sound, that's always a good thing if you get a big room to record drugs, drums in and get some natural reverb. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it definitely has that going on. Uh, and then I also noticed, it, it, to your point, you know, it was a lot of fun for you guys to do. I think that came through in the pictures, too. It looked like you guys were having a good time when you guys were recording. Yeah, it was kind of a, a big relief for us. We'd been working on this record for at least two years. I mean, we had already started writing right after the first record, but just member changes and just, you know, life and obviously sure. COVID. and sure it felt like it took us way longer than we wanted to finish it up. So it was a big, it was fun, but it was finally, we could do something with all this like hard work, you know, like right. get it done and hopefully get it out soon. So yeah, we were having a great time, not stressing over writing anymore. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That is always a very stressful part. And, and whenever it's very collaborative as well, you know, a lot of people bring their ideas to the table and some of those things end up on the cutting room floor, if you will. So it's 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 not really a matter of ego, but everybody is exercising their ego at the same time, you know, when it comes to that. Yeah, and we had we had the record done. There was a song or two though, I will say, you know, working we worked with Alex Ferrar uh at Drop a Sun. He engineered it and is mixing and he helped co produce actually. And we went into it wanting to do that, like yeah. agreeing on, on those terms because it's just four of us and our guitarist writes two guitar parts. So it's sure. kind of like a lot of pre-production on our end and being able to get feedback on that and, and be able to yeah. navigate songwriting with a, an outside perspective that we trust and respect, like was really helpful. Uh, and in the studio, two songs in particular, like he definitely helped us like shape those, even if it was like subtle little things. I mean, for me on drums, he did a lot too. Uh, he'd just be like, you need to go simple with this fill. You need to maybe try it this way and this way. And yeah. for me, that was the first time I had that experience um, changing anything I've written right. when I'm in the studio because right. I'm pretty like, I'm somebody who's got to, I got to practice a lot, especially before I record sure. and I got to like, feel like I can nail it and changing something there, but having, and not feeling confident in that, but having someone, in the moment, give me that confidence was super cool. It was super right. like uh, rewarding to be like, Oh, I did do it. Awesome. It does sound great. You right. know? And so yeah. that was really fun. It, it, it was, could be frustrating and a little stressful in the moment <laughs> of tracking Absolutely. a song, but uh, the end result was super awesome. And we all had a blast. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've had similar experiences where I've went in, I've recorded with somebody who was just like, okay, we're on do your thing, you know? and didn't get any type of feedback. And then I've also had instances what you're talking about where it's a very collaborative effort. They're giving recommendations. And those are the most rewarding experiences, I think, in the, in the studio, especially if you can come with, you know, uh, all humility and not too you know, much ego inside the door and open for suggestions and then trying them. You know, it's one thing to be open, but to actually try them. You know, those are the best experiences yeah. when you're recording. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely our best experience, and um, being being able to have another collaborative effort or person, you know, yeah. input was was um, invaluable. Honestly, we just wanted to create the best. No ego involved at all. Create the best songs we could right. because 
we have a million other songs ideas you know that we want to work on anyway you know so it's like whatever can make it the best and if something gets cut like we'll use it for something else you know i'm sure you've heard some of the raw material back on what you've already recorded um yeah i know you said you're kind of waiting on some final mixes and stuff but uh are you getting that you know self-satisfaction whenever you listen back to that is this do you feel like this is something that you've really accomplished this is something really different that you've hit on in life especially playing drums you know that's a little bit of a more new thing for you and in, in, in this style of music yeah we have we have heard the tracks it's uh, just a rough mix we wanted something to hear also because we're playing a handful of those new songs live yeah and we one we had to teach another guitarist two i had to like remember my changes <laughs> yeah yeah that's uh, we had to like really we want we didn't want to just keep playing those songs the way we had we want to like really be true to the record and Absolutely. it's subtle stuff but we you know we want to feel comfortable so we got it rough mixes to hear that but also super nice to hear the album finally right um it's yeah it feels like we really accomplished something and because alex is really an incredible engineer he the quality of what he sent us rough for him is still like the best we've sounded um so and and he did hide so it's pretty close to that quality already so we're super super stoked to hear the end result on on his part because um sometimes it's hard for us to imagine that we're going to sound any better. <laughs> right. You know, it, well that I, I asked you that question to get to this and you've basically already made my point, but it is also, it's a confidence booster whenever you do hear back, uh, you know, things you're like, Hey, that that's really turned into that. And, and it's your opportunity to hear it with an even ear as well, which is, you know, invaluable in many respects. And I'm sure is a huge boost for you guys going back in on tour as well to hear that back, set your sales off in a positive direction. And it kind of solidified our, our gut feelings of like songs that should be singles and like what we should be playing live. And, um, in all honesty, just hearing how much we've grown and that these songs are, in my personal opinion, just like 10 times better than the last record. Like, uh, we were never worried we're going to have like a sophomore slump or anything like that, yeah. but it's, it's really different than the last record. Mm-hmm. And we tried to allude that to that with some singles and putting hide out when we did because we we don't want people to it to just be completely out of left field. I guess right. um, sometimes it's nice, but we weren't trying to do that. Sure. But the fact that the songs and a lot of the things we tried on this record are way different for us and for the genre, we get kind of pigeonholed in the goth subgenre, you know, uh, post-punk, all that death rock, but we have a lot of elements of that, but that's just not all we are. And so I think the fact that these songs and this album sounds as good as it does Mm -hmm. will help elevate, like hopefully that songwriting and not just deter people because it's not a specific thing that they were expecting to hear. That's definitely something that was always imperative for me in bands that I was in was like, I didn't want us to be pigeonholed into one genre. You know, I wanted us to make music that sounded good, songs that sounded good, parts that flowed together correctly. So, like, I'm always apprehensive to even tell a band, oh, you're you're in a post-punk band or something like that. Because even I understand in that role, like, I have, sometimes would be like, I'm not that not that fucking type of band, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we are. We know we come from that. And that's, that's definitely, like, a big part of our sound. Sure. But we love to 
weaving it out of that. And we're, this is just kind of our way of saying you won't, won't really know what to expect from us. And we're going to do something different next time too. Now, speaking of the band and we and our, I wanted to ask you about your bandmates. I, I, I read a few different articles that were out there online and I know, or at least it was said in some of the online articles I read was like, you know, you guys got some exposure through a New York times article, I believe. Yeah. And uh, did you guys, how did that come about? Um, and did you guys secondly notice uh, an uptick in interest in your band once they gave you a little bit of publicity? Well, it came about because we have a PR agent that we worked with, um, since a little before that record came out. Um, he's been super awesome, a, a friend now and somebody who's really helped push the band because he believed in us, which is super awesome. Uh, that doesn't happen a lot yeah. <laughs> in this industry and without having, you know, a label management, even a booking agent, having someone come to the table and be like, I'll work with you on budget. I'll, I'll like actually get you publication because I think you deserve it. We were like, okay, we'll see what happens. And he, he killed it. I mean, getting something in the New York times and even to me to reflect back on that, the way the record sounds, which it sounds great. I'm not trying to like deter people from listening to it. Like, but from a musician standpoint and like, seeing the growth it's like i'm i'm actually surprised they covered it because it's right. kind of a raw record um but yeah it, it was really cool it i don't think new york times got us honestly that much exposure that we saw initially it was more like so-and-so's mom or parent was like oh i saw this thing about your band oh it's a serious thing i guess yeah <laughs> You know, that's got to be kind of odd. I never even thought of that sort of conversation ever playing out in my mind before. Yeah, like it, it maybe made us seem a little more serious to people that thought sure. that we were just another band. That you thought know? otherwise, yeah. which is, which is good. It has you know that has yeah. its its upside. But the thing that really helped us out was Bandcamp. Um, same pub um, publicity agent, like he got us uh, on a on Bandcamp daily and it was a full on interview and everything. And that like boosted the record so much. Like that's really what like helped us and got us some recognition, which was super awesome. Yeah. And the awesome thing too about Bandcamp is like, you know, artists usually get quite a bit more of a considerate amount of money from their services that they provide versus let's say a Spotify or Apple music or whomever, you know, kind of the big corporate people out there in the world. And any band that we ever push on the show, we always like to, you know, get folks to go over to Bandcamp if they can, if the band's on there to help support them. So that's usually the yeah. one we push people toward. It's a great resource. I mean, especially we don't have a website still, <laughs> even though we should. <laughs> like, it's got tour dates and merch and music and, you know, basically everything. Yeah, absolutely. This is Barrett from the ATI Podcast. Each week, Josh and I discuss current events, pop culture, music, TV, movies, politics, sports. Nothing is out of bounds. You can also tune in to learn about rising artists, small businesses, whether it's music, graphic design, filmmaking, or even a brick-and-mortar mom-and-pop shop. We will be spotlighting folks and their endeavors. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Anchor, 
or anywhere you enjoy your podcast. Just search ATI Podcast. We would like to thank you for your continued support. And as always, please stay safe out there. So I, I bring up the articles too to get into this, and that is a lot of the, some of the articles um, wrote on, elaborate some of the mental health challenges that some of the band members have, and then actually kind of turn that into good energy and writing music about it, if you uh-huh. will. Uh, I believe the guitarist talked about uh, bipolar issues in an article that I read. Uh, lead singer, I know on this new single in particular, Hyde, uh, I believe, as I read, was about addiction and anorexia that she battled, or perhaps that was on a different song. That's one thing I always like to bring up, and earlier you even mentioned kind of the moves that you made were you know, mental health related too. It seems like you guys are taking that and, and pushing that energy in a positive direction and pushing it into the music as well. Yeah, I mean, because most people are using music and performing and writing as a catharsis and for their mental health, whether they even realize it. And uh, our vocalist in particular, you know, she she writes mostly everything about that, you know, yeah. her, her personal experiences or experiences of people close to her. Um, and it's, yeah, it's really important for us because we're, we're all in therapy. We all have mental health issues right. as most of society does. And it goes unchecked and that just right. causes a lot of the issues and turmoil in, in most people's lives. So yeah, we, we really like that it's um, become a topic of conversation, even though it can be really hard sometimes sure. to dive into some of that, you know, personal stuff. Right. We know that it can help people and, at the very least is helping us and at least people understand where we're coming from rather than like, we're all pretty goofy people and like, like to have fun, but we do take art and music very seriously and being able to like have a front person that really likes to put their heart on their sleeve essentially, you know, and like uh, dive into that is really important to us, you know, like definitely. For all the reasons I said, but also like, yeah, just moving forward, like we can kind of grow from all that too. Like Absolutely. getting it out of us is like a huge thing too. Um, I think personally for me, that, that helps a lot. Yeah. So it, mental health keeps coming up on some of our shows too. I, uh, I just interviewed a few weeks ago, a rising R&B artist out in California now, Jesus Rose. And uh, he was talking about how music became his escape essentially at an early age and went on. Um, Josh, uh, who's my co-host, who unfortunately couldn't be on the call today, uh, he does a lot of advocacy on social media and stuff for bipolar disorder specifically. He, um, you know, struggles with that. Uh, We had uh, a guy who has a diorama shop, Brandon Stewart, on our show. And he talked about uh, some of the mental health awareness stuff that he's gotten involved with himself. So it just seems like it keeps coming up on my show. And whenever I was doing research for your guys' band, that just jumped out to me immediately that, you know, the mental health component was being talked about so openly. But I think that's a good thing because there has been such a stigma, even in music, especially um, particularly bands like we used to play into to some extent, that, you know, perhaps it would have not been seen so tough to talk about your emotions openly or what you're struggling with. But it definitely adds uh, humanity to the band, 
and allows people to get to know you guys at least on some level too and root for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think anyone that is struggling with anything, how big that issue is or how trivial it might be, like getting help for that kind of stuff is, is never something to be ashamed of. You know, like I went, I didn't start going to therapy until about a year ago. Um, I did a lot of work myself that was really hard and I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. <laughs> I should have sought out help a lot, a lot sooner. I would have been in a much better place a lot early, earlier in life. Um, and I have, I know people very close to me that have been in therapy since they're very young, you know, and, yeah. um, it's, easier to talk about the stuff you struggle with whenever you're um, constantly working on it. And it can be hard, but like, it seems like people don't want to think that most of the world has issues. You know, most of society has problems, but especially when it comes to any kind of alternative lifestyles or subgenres of music or, you know, extreme music, art, any of that stuff, like it, we're not, I don't know, usually pretty creative is struggling with something <laughs> and, and, and needs, needs to like find a, another release from that for that other than just their art, because that is a wonderful thing, but yes. it can also keep you from doing that thing. No. So, yeah, definitely. We've, and I'd say that that was some of the challenges in the bands that I've been in, in the past too, is that you know, mental health things did get in the way of production and, and because you're around these people all the time, you know, your band becomes your family in many instances and they become the convenient victim of your aggression or anxieties or whatever the case might be, you know, just to put it simply, but, yeah. um, but yeah, you're, that's a very good point that you bring up too, is to have that other outlet, not that be your all as well. So that doesn't become poisoned. Too. Yeah. Because there's been plenty of times in my life where I've, put way too much energy into certain projects. And like you said, the family relationship dynamic that is a band is it's a giant relationship of multiple people. And I've projected too much onto others and I've, I've pushed people too far when I should have checked myself and sure. communicated my feelings rather than sure. like pushing people away, you know? Yeah. I can relate to it. Totally. I wanted to talk to you too. I know that you joining the band was, they were already a band. You saw them play, as you mentioned. Um, and then they asked you to, to help them out and became the drummer. Um, do you know kind of what the inspirations initially were of the band getting together or is there any that they, you care to advertise for us? Is there any particular bands? If nobody's heard you before, perhaps that you could kind of relate close to for folks. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I know initially the, they wanted to start some type of post-punk goth type band. They didn't really know what, but Mm -hmm. I'd say the influences or the initial idea of maybe the concept of what the band was going to be musically has shifted quite a bit. Okay. Um, Cause yeah, when they started, it was like, let's, be goth essentially right i got you <laughs> and let's add elements of death rock and post-punk and that was it yeah. um i would say with that like bands like skeletal family or horror vacui um and like early christian death you know anything like that mm-hmm. but 
as it's kind of gone on and I joined, I mean, I have a lot of heavier music influences, but as far as this type of music goes, like there's a bunch of current bands that are really awesome, like soft kill and, uh, fearing and just more straight post-punk stuff. And, and, um, I, I think I come from a unique spot where I didn't play drums before. So, I focus on a lot of what other drummers do and, and understand how I fit into this genre, you know, yeah. and what I can take as influence from them. Um, but also like our, our guitarist, um, her big influences are like really gnarly, insane sounding bands and like tons of shoegaze and just yeah. really over overdriven stuff. And, yeah, you know we're like slowly incorporating that kind of stuff into our sound and um yeah our ba- yeah it just goes the list goes on for each of us you know like it's just so many different influences and i think what makes us sound the way we do is because of that absolutely yeah that's yeah. everybody bringing their influences in and kind of making a melting pot for the music always i always felt like that always about you know kind of produce the best results yielded the best results if you will uh, for bands, yeah. you know, like whenever I first initially heard your guys, your guys' stuff, I mean, I listened to a lot of older post-punk and, and things in that wheelhouse, alternative, you know, eighties, new wave, uh, yeah, all that stuff, uh, that gets closely related to one another. But, you know, I heard things that I felt like kind of sounded like, like Bauhaus and even the Cocteau twins and Sushi and the Banshees, Mortal Coil, but then kind of getting into the where that started, some of those bands started to break off and get a little shoegazy. So like Slow Dive, for example, Uh Um, you know, I think that, you know, some of that drumming, I'm kind of seeing you progress into more of that style as well on the drums. Like, you know, to, to use some of those as an example as well to kind of, I think that there's, whether directly or indirectly or because of other bands that maybe drew from those inspirations, I, I hear a little bit of that, you know, those bands, even whenever listening to you guys. Yeah, uh, those those I guess I didn't say any of the obvious bands just because sure. everybody seems to know them. But yeah, right. all all that's definitely an influence, and we all love that stuff. And The Cure is collectively one of our, sure. you know, up there bands for us. And and um, jokingly at times is like, oh, The Cure intro, or like you know, yes. this, you know, yeah. Robert Smith, whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, like all of that is definitely there. But you're right. Like there's, there's so much other music that has stemmed from that and and grown from there and morphed into other stuff that like we also get influenced by. The Cure is one of those first bands that was my band. Like because my dad influenced a lot of my musical opinions when I was younger. You know, I was basically a '90s kid, so like we didn't really have internet and stuff like that in the rural area that we were in. So it was like whatever was on the radio, whatever was on MTV, that type that type of thing was my exposure at the yeah. time. So my dad was a lot of classical rock bands um, and, and that sort of music. But The Cure was one of those first bands that I kind of discovered for myself and got my own fandom uh, as well. So big Cure fan. I've even like whenever we were in heavier bands, we were like, let's let's cover plain song because it's fucking heavy as shit. Like just it's so <laughs> doomy sounding. And I yeah. uh, even toyed with the idea of doing it a few times. And I actually recorded a demo of it with me playing all the musical tracks myself uh, recently. Uh, but uh, yeah, Robert Smith is a huge influence on me. Anything he ever, you know, does. 
with solo yeah. or cure stuff. Awesome. Yeah. And I mean, he was in Susie and the Banshees for a while, you right. know, like he has, has influenced and done a lot. And, and I, I don't think a lot of people realize that they, everybody knows who the cure is. They've sure. heard the name and they might know Friday. I'm in love, but right, right. Yeah, <laughs> there's can... so much to that band and so many different kind of iterations of it. And yeah, it's very influential for us too. We kind of touched on some of this a little bit before, but band dynamic, I wanted to get into some of that. You know, what does what does writing a song look like for your band? Is it extremely collaborative? Does is there a primary sound songwriter? Can you peel back the curtain a little bit for us? Yeah. Um it's extremely extremely collaborative, um, sometimes to a fault. <laughs> sure. Uh we want to make sure everybody's happy with a song or, or parts of song sections, whatever. Um Within that, I, I would say our our guitarists and bassists are the the two primary songwriters, and that's kind of just because they work so well off of each other. And me being the drummer, I feel like I have bands that I've written everything for, and still have a band where I write everything for. Right. So it's kind of nice to take a back seat and yeah. just chime in whenever. Um, and the same with our vocalist; like she's a great songwriter, but uh, we'll come up with sections of things rather than like come to the table with the full song right. so that like, Hey, everyone learned this song. It's my song. You know, right. it's, it's, that's happened a couple times and they're amazing songs and, and it's songs that we've released and stuff, but we really like kind of putting it through the whole, like, like the vetting system of the band, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Just through the, through the like ringer basically, right, you know, right. like, how can we make this better? How can we make this the best thing we've done every time, which is, you know, hard, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, it's very collaborative and it's actually one of my favorite songs that's going to be on the new record. We had done, finished it and demoed it like almost two years ago, if not longer. And we were like, Oh, this one just doesn't seem like it fits the vibe. And we, decided I convinced them to run through it one last time before we went into record like a week or so before I was like, we know the song. Like, what if we just try it? And it felt really good. And we're like, well, shit, let's just record it. And yeah. it's one of my favorite songs on the record. And it's uh, one that we're playing live right now. So like, yeah, we just sometimes to a fault would be like, this is so collaborative that if one person's kind of not feeling it, even when it's done, we'll like shelve it. But then we come back to it and we have a different perspective and we're able to all right. collectively be like, Oh yeah, we did something good here. Let's like do, let's, let's go with it. Yeah. There's, there's nothing wrong with giving, giving anything a little bit of air. That's a, that's a big piece of advice. I think that people should really focus in on and what you just said as well. That being said, future records, like i write plenty of music in this genre too and and so does our vocalist and so we kind of want to like like slowly ease into everybody like being a little bit bigger of a songwriter in the band at times just to see what happens absolutely uh i I talked about earlier too kind of some of your guys's inspirations and stuff but like one thing i wanted to comment and commend you guys on too is that i feel like you guys could be plucked and maybe kind of made some of these comments already but you guys could be plucked and dropped into really any era, I feel like. So I think your music is very appealing to a lot of people. 
And I think a lot of it has to do, obviously, with the influences that you've mentioned that you guys have put into the band. But I feel like you guys could be plucked out, put into the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, you know, scenes and flourish, whether whether you were playing with a glam rock band in the 70s or post-punk in the late 70s, early 80s, or even new wave bands in the 80s and goss into the late 80s and, and, and into the 90s. Like, you guys could fit the bill for any of those shows. Yeah, I think so. And uh, that was... I would say that was kind of a, an issue for us here in Asheville specifically for a while. Um, not feeling like we really fit in. We're always kind of the odd band on a bill. But after after a little while, we just embraced it and realized like, oh, people are coming to see us. That's cool. Um, because we are unique. Right. We, are, we do stand out. But yeah, we've played tons of shows with they're just metal shows or parkour shows and, and then like indie shows and then just straight EDM shows, you know, like we can kind of do all of that because right. we do touch on elements of a lot of that stuff. Um, and surprisingly it goes over well. <laughs> yeah. And I, again, I can't compliment what you guys are doing enough. I love it. Uh, I, I, I need, I need everybody else to love it. That's the point. Of this <laughs> thank, thank you. <laughs> uh, but uh, I also wanted to talk, I know that you're kind of into uh, photography yourself, and I wanted to ask about some of the production that I saw online with some of your videos that you had up. Uh, I think there's music videos for both Pure and, uh, Pure and Calm that you have up online that I came across specifically. Uh, I know you're kind of, I, I know you like film and you like taking pictures, you're into photography. Did you have anything to do with kind of the production on that? How much say so did you have in that? Uh, yes and no, depending on the, the video. We also have a, a third video for the song Dissolve uh, that came out 2020, I think. Um, yeah. Two of those videos, well, all of them, I will say, is they're all pretty much spearheaded, directed by our vocalist, Lena. Um, and she'll either storyboard something out or have a really good concept and we just kind of go with it. Um, the first two videos we did were we tried for those to be more full on production and like really do scenes and like get a whole, the whole storyline together. Um, and then pure the last video we put out most recent one, um, that one was pandemic. Let's just do it in our guitarist apartment. Yeah. We came up with silly concept. I think it played well. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge contrast to the dark lyrics and the somber, right. slow pace of the song. But yeah, just like kind of a playful way of showing a little bit more of ourselves, um, not being so serious. But yeah, we that was all very collaborative. All of us, for the most part, um, had something to do with it. We did it all on our phones. Um, we decided not to because we could have borrowed some really nice gear from from friends, but we really just wanted to see what we could do with our phones out of curiosity. It, yeah, I think it came out good on account of it though too. Yeah, and so that that was one element of it which I did have a hand on with a lot of the lighting and, and things like that. But then uh our friend Rory who has um had a hand in all of our videos uh with post production and editing, he really killed it on that video with doing a lot of the weird glitching and a lot of the like VHS-ish style yes, stuff. I was going to ask you about um, that. Some of the uh, VHS framing and then there was like transparency overlays and then you had frames on top of frames kind of re one, 
know, like the smaller picture recessed into the bigger picture. Like there was a lot yeah. of cool stuff that that was going on with the editing in that video. Yeah, and we that was kind of a concept, loose concept we had with that video. That was the one, only one that didn't have a storyboard, but we knew we we wanted as an end result. Uh, a lot of the double and triple framing stuff, like that, was definitely our intent, and and he kind of went with that in a cool way. I will also say we did a lot of like B stock stuff individually throughout the year prior to that because we knew we wanted to do a video. So a lot of the like nature stuff and a lot of the like odd looking random things were just us on our phones for about a year. Um and he was nice enough to compile all that, sort through it and find the best places for it all to fit. <laughs> Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Daryl Buchanan, most know me as DJ, Swerving Podcast on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Check in every Sunday for the episodes. We got a new podcast called The Big Hungry and Swerve Movie Podcast. I'll be every Wednesday on the same platform. Be sure to check that out. Also, got a detailing business. Be sure to check that out. Swerve Auto Detail on Facebook, Instagram. My phone number is 573 327 1473. I run rates at 125 for a full inside and out detail have a summer package you can get you five cleans for 225 like i said that's swerve auto details on facebook and instagram and i'm your boy swerving podcast baby uh you mentioned your singer as well earlier i wanted to mention i don't know if this is an influence for her or not but uh lena uh she sounds sometimes to me like she gets she kind of hits that dolores or reardon from the cranberries uh pitch like the modulation that she has in her voice especially at the end of her phrasing like on a song like um oh i think it was like on pure uh, or or one of those songs where i could just tell in her voice she kind of had that signature modulation at the end of her phrasing like dolores had yeah i'd say that dolores is an influence and she she likes that comparison a lot more than others that she gets for sure <laughs> yeah she's it's a distinct voice and i think that's what adds to the signature sound of your guys's band as well oh yeah she definitely has a distinct voice and even though she pulls from people like dolores at times um usually it's pretty unintentional um there's i'm not gonna like point it out so that people don't just hear it yeah, in yeah. certain songs but there's there's a couple parts in some songs even on the new record where i'm like you know this sounds like this this person and she's like i've never listened to that band <laughs> that's hilarious that is yeah hilarious. so she she just kind of instinctively has like this way of doing things that i you know i guess like other vocalists do too and that's kind of cool so I'm 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 a graphic design guy. I always like graphic design. I was noticing with some of your uh, tour flyers coming up, uh, like some of the designs were really intriguing to me. Like there was kind of like an anorexic cat, Alice in Wonderland type of look on one of them in particular that I really dug. Are, are you having a hand in those designs, or who's designing these flyers for you? Because I think they're unique as well. Uh, yeah, uh, Lena, our vocalist, uh, she's she's a painter artist. You know, like uh draws a lot um does a lot of sketches like that and so every piece of merch that we've had she's done drawn or or something or other or i i've designed one shirt <laughs> i yeah. have one in the mix um she's done everything else and then i'll take it and i'll 
do some extra design stuff if I need to. But with all the flyers, uh, it's mostly, yeah, her having a cool piece of art and then I take it and I'll design with that. And so, yeah, the current flyers for this tour is stuff that I designed based on her art. Yeah, so kind of more of a collaborative effort on that design. Um, yeah, which is really cool. It has its challenges, but... <laughs> sure, no. Uh, I always enjoyed collaborating with people's stuff. Like, I started out as an art major uh, in school, and, uh, like, I, I did a hard shift toward the music and kind of stuck all my time with music in particular for the longest time. And uh, art's, art's rewarding in a different way, but still, you know, obviously in that in that wheelhouse of the arts. So anytime you can get out, draw, design, regardless if it's your flyers, your merch, as you mentioned, like that kind of create that kind of scratches one of those creative itches also in just in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I took one one kind of design class in college, um, but I yeah I was a fine art major and uh, particularly was focused on film photography, uh, and I just didn't I didn't transfer after. Uh, community college i just decided not to go in debt yeah no, uh, <laughs> uh, but it's blame you yeah it's one. really yeah it's really nice to like uh kind of go back to some of that sometimes and photography being one of those i definitely do a lot of design stuff from photography i've done um as well so uh yeah being able to design flyers and stuff even at times you know when we need it we need it yesterday so it's kind of like the pressure's on, but yeah. it's really it's really fun being able to be creative in that way outside of just music. Now, are you guys getting um, any label interests at this time, or anything like that you can talk about? Um, not really. I mean, we have people that tell us such and such label would be a really good fit for you, and I can connect you, and I think that that would go well. Yeah. And we've We've been pretty apprehensive to that because I'm sure, as you know, the way the music industry works is, especially if it's any kind of really big indie labor, label or major label, like you're not going to see a lot of money for a long time. Right. Uh, and we're, we want to be as self-sustaining as we can financially as soon as we can, because we're all broke. Right. <laughs> we're all trying to like make ends meet so that we can do this. So uh, the sooner that we can uh, see a return on that is is better for us because that means there's longevity in it for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and with my experience of releasing a lot of records in the past and my, one of my other bandmates being in, in a lot of touring bands as well in the past, we kind of get the grind of it and we know that it's a lot of work to basically be running this as a business too and, right. and releasing our own music. Um, but uh, we can do it and we can do it well. So I think this, this record we're going to do ourselves too. And if that allows us to kind of like step up and go with a label in the future where we don't get screwed financially, like right. we'll do it. Yeah. yeah. If the right deal comes along and you know, that's, yeah. It, oh, go ahead. Yeah. It's okay. I was just going to say that, you know, that you're right. The music industry has changed in many ways. You know, the music industry, there's always been people at the top that are the, that are the greedy and the artists don't get their due. But now now it's just different in a different way. And then we talked about, touched on some of it earlier, but, you know, some of the streaming services and things like they're a necessary evil, but 
you know, those dollars, a lot of folks don't even realize, don't go back into the artist's pocket in most cases. And what, what does is a very minimal amount. So, mm-hmm. you know, being a band that's trying to be self-sustaining, being a band that is utilizing resources like Bandcamp and that sort of stuff is going to make you guys successful or at least give you the opportunity to be successful outside of the norm in that regard, too. Yeah, yeah. And we feel like also kind of... And this goes across the board with everything that we would need help with in the future that we're doing ourselves, like booking our own tours and everything. Sure. Like, uh, we feel like putting in that hard work is just going to show off and, and be more beneficial to us in the future. Like with, if we do sign with the label, not having a shit deal because right. we've proven we can do the numbers or we can like produce a solid record or whatever they need to see. Um, and so we're more appealing and, probably get a better deal and we'll be way better off long-term for that as well. Yeah. That's another thing I want to commend you on too, is I know you're a hustler in the sense that you're a hard worker and you know, that was evident back in the day and it's manifesting itself here again, but I know that you're not afraid to put in the work, whatever extra work is, is necessary. And you know, you're, you're certainly the type of person that would be a uh, very luring as a bandmate in that regard, you know, as being, as being the one in my bands so. in the past is me being the one in the bands of the past having to do all that would have been nice to have had somebody to share that responsibility you know yeah and I, honestly it's most of my life it's been me but yeah. it's also a lot of the times it's fine because i i for whatever reason have that drive to do all the extracurricular stuff too right. that comes yeah. along with running a band or, or managing it or whatever right um but I will say that with Secret Shame, that dynamic has changed a lot to where it's not just me. Everybody pitches in, everybody's doing a lot, and it's pretty awesome to not be the only one. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> um, yeah you detailed it earlier, too, the collaborative efforts that's going in from everybody, whether it's art yeah. design, songwriting, whatever the case is. This sounds like a very, a very communal um you know, project. Yeah. Everybody's pitching in. Everybody's doing their homework on the group project here. Which is, yeah. Is awesome. It's great. It's, it's much more rewarding because although I've done a lot and I could probably handle doing it all, it doesn't make sense for one person no. because everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. And when we can all fill in those gaps, it's, it's just better for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another thing I noticed, too, there in Nashville, it seems like you guys get a lot of uh, publicity from uh, Blue Ridge Radio. I think they're an NPR affiliate. Are they out of Asheville or close by? Yeah, so, yeah, they are. So, yeah, I've noticed they've written a few articles about you guys. Have they been a, a good partner? Have you had a lot of interfacing with them specifically yourself? Um, I think the initial connection was our PR agent. Um, okay. And... That was the interview, I think, that happened a few years back. I wasn't a part of that one. But most recently, they saw that we were in the studio and they wanted to come do like a in-the-studio kind of update article piece on us. Mm -hmm. And I think it was the same guy who did the original interview. But yeah, that was kind of all on him. Uh, He sought us out. He came to the studio. He interviewed Lena. He like watched her do some recording and like, kind of also interviewed uh alex the engineer as well so Mm -hmm. it was pretty cool yeah and the fact that it was like a pretty sweet publication and affiliated with npr is amazing (laughs) yeah yeah and and the fact that he sought you guys out on the second go around too that's that's very cool 
and yeah. just keep the tabs on the band. Uh, I was going to ask you too. I guess you hit on some of this a little bit earlier as well, but I know you're going. You guys are going back up on the second leg of the tour, um, and East Coast on the East Coast specifically. Uh, and talk about some of the material folks can hear from you. I know that uh, you're probably playing still stuff off the Dark Synthetics album, but you also mentioned the new material that you guys got that back and listened to that to prepare for tour. So what can folks ex- expect on the set list for you guys? Um, uh, I guess, I mean, I don't know if I should say the entire set list, but oh, it's no, also, I, there's like yeah. YouTube videos too, like of sure. recent shows. <laughs> yeah. Um. We're playing, yeah, we just, we only play a little bit off of Dark Synthetics anymore because we'd been playing those songs for yeah. a while before we tracked it. We did do a tour off of that um, right as it came out, so we never got to truly tour off of it. Mm-hmm. And I know some people are kind of upset with us for that, but it's out of our hands and we're, we're moving on. So we do right. play some of those songs still. Um, and we always love playing Dissolve. That's just a super fun song for us. And then... Uh, everything else is brand new so that's awesome well, hi i mean hide is out but that's still that's sure. still a new song for us so yeah everything else is brand new we, i guess there's three or four other new ones too that are in the mix so that's awesome and yeah. uh the tour that you guys are on the second leg of the tour any particular venues that you've been at before that you were looking forward to hitting along the way um actually there's a lot of new spots on this okay. um tour uh we're playing Fallout in Richmond, which is like a pretty well-known like goth club. That seems really cool. Yeah. Um, just like has been really hard for us to get in touch with them in the past, and we lucked out and were able to this time. Um, and then we're playing St. Vitus, which is yeah. been we had that booked in 2020 and it had to get canceled. So we're like, yeah, we kind of. We weren't even going to try for it. And actually, the band we're on tour with Child of Night, they set that one up. Uh, and it just so happened, it seems like we were going to be headlining it, which is cool and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I just spoke to somebody a few weeks ago, Jason uh, Asbury of Storm Ruler. They're on Napalm Records now. They're a black metal band. And okay. uh, they're on the Devastation of the Nation tour. And they're also playing at St. Vitus uh, in, in the coming week or so, I want to say. And they they sold out their date there too. So I got a. He was telling me he was very excited and nervous about hopping on there. But St. Vitus is obviously the legendary venue. Yeah, and, I've I've been there. I've I've seen shows there when I happen to be in New York. But yeah, I've never played. I played other places in Brooklyn and was always like, damn, I wish this was at St. Vitus. Yeah. Um, but sure. yeah, I'm I'm really excited for that one. Uh, we're playing. We're playing this uh, in York, Pennsylvania. It's, it's Skid Row Garage is the name of the venue. I think it might still be under construction, a new location, but we're they're booking it for us. We're just really excited because we played th- with them. They booked a show for us, essentially, um, at their old space in 2019 and just were so so accommodating such great people and just happen to be a friend of a friend connection and Mm -hmm. like we've stayed in touch and that one we're collectively really excited to play again because it's a smaller area but the the vibe is always awesome uh from everyone i've ever heard that goes there and so it's just like a nice place to to go play um so and you know friends we made that we haven't seen in three or whatever years so that's gonna be cool yeah um i'm trying to think i don't I can't remember all the other venues. Oh, we're playing a couple of places we've played before. Um, 
I think we're we might be playing Charlotte on this tour. <laughs> I don't recall. I saw Charlotte Bait on the list. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that venue is awesome. We played there a number of times just in the last two years, and uh, it's just always a good turnout. And everyone there at the venue is awesome. The sound is awesome, and I'm sure as you know, like good stage sound at a venue is like paramount. Such a rare fucking thing yeah, for some reason. It is, yeah. And then even I've also played places where it has the potential to be, but then you're dealing with the dick sound tech, <laughs> you know, that yeah. tries to tell you that you don't know how loud or not loud your own shit is. Uh, yeah, that that's always the unfortunate aspect of touring or <laughs> playing live shows. <laughs> it's yeah, it's kind of bizarre to like see uh, live footage of those particular shows where you're like, damn, I couldn't hear anything. I played horrible. And you're like, I sounded really good out there. Yeah. Like, why couldn't they just do the same mix to us? Like, it doesn't make any exactly. sense. Exactly. That's one thing with getting back out and let with live music and stuff. I'm, I'm not looking forward to one bit. <laughs> it's that, that confrontation that's ultimately going to happen between me and a sound guy at some venue somewhere. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's happening less and less for us for some reason well, now but i also will say that this is a band that's playing out of full stacks with that i'm used to sure. doing <laughs> yeah that's for sure yeah it's definitely a lane change there with that uh so playing some of the new material on tour you're getting ready to start the second leg of the tour what's next after the second leg of the tour for you guys um we have some midwest dates that were just announced it's just four dates uh was band vision video um that actually they just released the cure cover uh pictures of you okay so have to check you that can out. Go check that out yeah um but they're they're super sweet really really big supporters of us and they're blowing up right now so it's kind of be kind of sweet to play with them again um and then we're doing about another two-week run including that like um before we meet up with them in the midwest because we've never played anywhere other than the east coast yeah so yeah. now you guys are starting to move out west and yeah we're doing yeah midwest and then in the fall right before as the record is coming out we're going to do a full u.s so we're going to go all the way out west and back hell yeah and like i said i think i think you guys are just on the verge you guys obviously doing great now as it is but you guys i think you guys once you guys get out there and get that exposure play those other venues you guys are going to blow up because you do have that mass appealing sound as well and I know your work ethic, and you're not going to settle for anything less, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been I've been trying this long. I might as well keep going, right? Yeah, no <laughs> doubt, man. Respect the hustle for sure. So speaking of your hustle, too, I know you're involved in other projects as well. Uh, before I get off the line with you, I wanted to talk hit on some of those. I know um, you're involved with Hand of Death Records, are you not? Or I'm not? Yep. So yep. what's 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 going on there with Hand of Death Records? Um. Anymore, not much. Uh, I <laughs> I transitioned basically from doing Error Records into Hand of Death Records because yeah. with Error Records, I kind of just released whatever I liked, and it was sure. a hodgepodge of different genres, and that can work for some people. And for me, it kind of was was something that took away from like having some kind of label fan base to where people paid attention and like actually supported it. Um, so I wanted to go in a direction of just heavier, darker stuff and, and see what that could, could 
do. And uh, I, sillyly enough, I was doing both labels actually at once for a year. <laughs> oh, wow. That's crazy. So I had done actually the secret shame ep and another release in the same year that i did like three or four other with hand of death so it was like a lot um but yeah i started hand of death in 2016 and up until last year i still put out a decent amount of stuff and last year i think i only put out three releases or something like that mm-hmm. one of those being a single one of my own bands it was a digital single so not even a release <laughs> yeah i hear you so you you mentioned one of your own bands tell me about the other band that you're in as well people can check out yeah it's called harsh realm it's a death metal band it's like death doom crossover stuff mm-hmm. um it's just literally me right all the riffs i can possibly shove into a song there that i think are heavy <laughs> <laughs> there you go man yeah so yeah that's like my baby project i do vocals and play guitar and that like it's a lot of fun uh it's very challenging because i'm i was never a guitarist until that band i decided to just i'm gonna do this thing yeah i wanted to (laughs) i was tired of being a bassist honestly because i kept having bands end and i couldn't do anything about it (laughs) yeah i hear you i got myself into a similar position too (laughs) i was usually playing drums in every band you know so it was like well i need to start working on guitar here and bass there and this and that yeah yeah and so i when i moved to Asheville, i was like i'm gonna play guitar in a band and if people want to be in it cool if not great like i'm gonna just keep going uh so that's what i spend all my other time doing is if i'm not doing secret shame stuff which is most of the time um and yeah we got a weekend we're gonna do in may that we're about to announce that will be cool um because we don't get to do a whole lot yeah so that's cool man you, so you've got a full lineup with Harsh Realm as well, just be on yourself? What's the yeah, it's just a three-piece, like? so it's just two other people. Um, okay. Initially, it was a four-piece, but when that guitarist left, I just decided to keep it as is because he was a perfect fit, and that's hard to find, and sure. it's not, not necessary for a live setting. So yeah. Right. Yeah, no, I understand. It seemed like a lot of the bands that I was in was the same three people to that point, and it, like, it just became pointless to bring other people in at a certain point, you know? You kind of rely on that, that core trio. Yeah, when you just have two people to contact and connect with and organize and coordinate. Yeah, very low band, overhead. Bandwidth, like it's, it's a dream. <laughs> yeah, very low overhead for sure. Uh, I know we talked, touched on a little bit earlier, but uh, you did. I know you did merch for Portrayal of Guilt too. You did a run of shows with them, did you not? Recently, mm-hmm. so you've, you, like I said earlier, before we hopped on the record button, you're busier than a one-armed fruit merchant out there, <laughs> as they I say am, in the south. Yeah. That just happened to work out. Uh, with Hand of Death, I'd put out a, a seven-inch split for them, and it was just because we're friends. I'd been booking them and. Matt and I's old bands played together and I booked his old bands in Illinois. So like, we just go way back. And when he was sharing on social media that I needed somebody to do merch on this tour, I didn't think I'd be able to do it. And then he did it again. And I was like, Oh wait, I've got three weeks of time doing nothing before I start touring. Right. I'll, I'll get paid to go sell merch. That's cool. Oh yeah. (laughs) And it helps you like get out and kind of network and, and get familiar with, venues and the movers and the shakers and what have you too so it's it's not all for nothing beyond of doing it for a friend doing it for a band that you like too of course yeah yeah i mean that definitely is a huge huge bonus to it um 
even without trying, yeah, you just meet people and connect and uh, made friends on that tour and it was super awesome. Um, but a big part of it was I haven't toured in a long time. It'd be nice to do it and not be playing, but also portrayal of guilt's like this otherworldly band doing whatever the hell they want at all times sure. and always ahead of the curve. And to see, to be able to watch them play every night, especially James, their drummer is incredible. Yeah. And understanding how he does half of what he does so perfect every night, like just blew me away. And it yeah. was awesome to just pick up on the stuff he does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's a learning experience. It's like going to school whenever you see, a band hitting greatness, hitting on all calibers. Like there's something to be learned there. It's even that energy is uh, even infectious in many ways. And and those guys are killer musicians for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So what's next for y'all secret shame? You, what do you got going on? Tell the, tell the good people what Mr. Nathan's got going on. What I have going on. Yes, sir. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, we're going to do this next run of dates, uh, and like I said, Midwest, West coast, you know, put the record out in the fall. Um, aside from that, yeah, my other project, Harsh Realm, we're going to, uh, I've been the pandemic wrote a record essentially, and we're finally working through a lot of those songs and going to track a record sometime this year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll in all your free time, if, right? If it happens. Uh, and then hopefully put it out next year. Cause last time I put out two releases in, in like a six month span, it almost killed me. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm going to hopefully like space them out a year apart this time. Uh, and then I, yeah, I, aside from that, just trying to do art for fun, like photography yeah. design and, um, I've got a solo project that I'm going to hopefully finish up the recordings of that and put out next year. Maybe it seems like is how long it's taking. <laughs> awesome, dude. I love hearing it, man. I, I was so happy to get you landed on the show and, and get a chance to catch up with you. It'd been a while too, since we talked, uh, hell yeah, it might've um, even been all the I way appreciate back. It. And, uh, I just wanted to give you opportunity where people can find you guys on social media too and, and kind of plug those things so people can get get on there and see what your band has to offer, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, we're everywhere. So if anybody searches our name, they'll find it. Yeah. And I again, I mentioned it earlier, I truly am a fan of the, the music that you're putting out too. It's excellent work, sir. Uh, I wouldn't just blow smoke up your butt, but it's even... Uh, it's even greater that it's you in this instance and uh, all the success that's coming to you is much deserved, sir. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I hope it continues and, and the world doesn't shut down again. So I yeah. have to go in a hole. <laughs> For sure. I think we've, we've learned a lot with this disease out there and I think that things are looking a little bit more positive, a little bit more brighter as far as all that's concerned. I think you're going to get your opportunities, fortunately. And I agree. Yeah. You know, it's it's a different world that we all live in nowadays, but uh, we're all starting to kind of figure out how to navigate it. But the minute that we all think we got the answers to, I think we're in the wrong place. We should always be working on something. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Nathan, I want to thank you again so much for your time today. You've been so generous. I want to mention, of course, that we will be playing the Secret Shame tracks today throughout the breaks. And we are going to be exclusively featuring Hyde at the close of the show today in its entirety. So you guys stick around and you're going to get a chance to hear this tasty little jam. 
And uh, Nate, thank you so much for your time today, sir. I appreciate it. Thanks. Before we sign off on the show today, just want to take the opportunity to thank everybody who checked out episode 11, our Jonestown Jim Jones, The People's Temple episode with friend Ridge Jackson. This was the first installment of our Colts, Conspiracies, and Killers miniseries that will be running intermittently on the show feed. We understand that there's an oversaturation of that type of content largely in the podcast game right now. But we want to take those subject matters into a different uh, type of approach, almost like a trash theory, for example, if you ever watch those videos on YouTube uh, that tell the history of bands and certain genres and that sort of stuff. So get kind of more about the subjects and those people that in those situations talking about their inceptions, talking about the mass psychological aspects as well as sociological aspects, things that were going on in the news at the time, what the public awareness was to these type of things. So just trying to have a melting pot of ideas here. The next one we alluded to on that episode as well is going to be Heaven's Gate, and we're tracking that for a late June release. But in the meantime, we are on a run of interviews. So next week, we will have Brady Kurt of Brady's Jiu-Jitsu Club. Uh, Brady is practicing in... The Fredericktown area has his own dojo practice, if you will, and it is under a Gracie designation. And I know that Brady has a MMA career that we'll touch on briefly, as well as him advancing himself to a purple belt declaration under Royce Gracie, of course, of the famed Gracie family and the big things that they've done in BJJ over history and time want to say thank you again to Nathan of Secret Shame. Nathan, we appreciate your time today. You can find Secret Shame on Instagram at Secret Shame Band. Secret Shame is on Twitter. Their handle is at Shame Secret. Facebook.com backslash Secret Shame Band can be found there. I know that Secret Shame also can be found on TikTok. Secret Shame also can be heard on Spotify, Apple Music, the standard bears, if you will. But as we discussed today in our discussion with Nathan, if you could support these artists via channels such as Bandcamp, that would really support them. If you like their record, you know, follow the artist, download their music, donate to the band, buy merch, so on and so forth. So Secret Shame is going to be back on tour. They're going to be starting on May 1st, and they will be all over the East Coast, as Nathan detailed in our discussion. For booking details, hit up secretshameband at gmail.com. That email again is secretshameband at gmail.com. One last time, we would like to thank Mr. Ben Sharp of Cloud Kicker for allowing us to use his music on our podcast, specifically our new show open. Thanks again, Ben. We really appreciate it. For this week, I'm Barrett at Barry Insane on Instagram and Twitter. My co-host, Joshua is at the OGW on Twitter 
and underscore Joshua Welch on Instagram. And for this week, we are out of time. Until next time, good night, good luck, and here is Secret Shame with Hyde.
Hey, this is Josh from ATI Podcast. For show updates and news about the podcast, follow us on social media. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ATI Podcast 22, on Twitter at podcast underscore ATI, on Instagram at the ATI Podcast, on TikTok at ATI Podcast. DMs are always welcome. Have a question for the show? You can always email us at ATI Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Stay safe out there.